0: It's like somebody got a name, Woodshock. <laughs> yeah, it's always been kind of a hobby. I whittled that out of beech wood. Huh, it's beautiful. So yeah. so what got you into uh, carpentry? Carpentry? <laughs> I guess I'd have to say Jesus. He was a carpenter, and I just figured if you're going to follow in someone's footsteps, who better than Christ? Hmm. Greg's Jewish. Are you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so was JC. Wow, you're in good company. <laughs> hey, it's good to be with you all. Kettlebert Jackson. And uh, is anyone here actually, I just want to, this is my own curiosity, my own sick curiosity. Is anyone actually watching the Pro Bowl today? <laughs> okay. No one's the one brave enough to admit it. Okay. I understand. I understand. But hey, as that clip just illustrated, you know, have you ever been in that kind of awkward situation where you you, you want to talk about Jesus, but it's like it, it, it comes off as, as kind of kind of weird and kind of kind of awkward at times, kinda of like with uh, with Owen Wilson and, and Ben Stiller in that, that clip. We are in this series that we're calling Gospel Fluency. And our hope is is that as we start off uh, 2018, that uh, kind of collectively as, as a community uh, and a family of followers of Jesus, that we can kind of make a New Year's resolution to become more fluent, more conversant, more comfortable in talking about the one thing that is most important to uh, those of us who consider ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, and that is Jesus Christ, you know, that When when we're enthusiastic about something, when we're excited about something, when we're passionate about something, when we're in love with someone, isn't it natural and normal that, that you would want to talk about that one thing or that person to other people, to those you care about, to those you are in relationship with? I mean, like if you live in New England right now, who are you talking about? Tom Brady, right? You're talking about how great Tom Brady Yeah, Nate is over there going, yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, we are not talking about Tom Brady here. I'm just using his as an illustration, all right? So, that, You know, um I, I, a couple months ago, my daughter got engaged, and I was so excited about it. I just couldn't shut up about it. Everyone that I talked to, you know, I'd go up to them and say, hey, did you find out that, did you know that Maggie got engaged? And they're like, yeah, Mike, you told us that already three times. You know, I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I just... I." just can't stop talking about it. Like, do you know that they're going to Thailand for their vacation or for their honeymoon? And, and you know, it's just kind of, I can't help it, just kind of oozes out of me. And that's the, that's the way it is when you're excited about something, when you're enthusiastic about something, when you're passionate about something. You just can't help talking about it. But it doesn't, it's not always that way with Jesus, is it? Jesus just doesn't kind of naturally, normally flow uh out of us in, in in our conversations with our coworkers and with our friends and with those that we're in relationship with and 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 don't get uh, you know feel guilty about that all right okay i i think part of that is normal and natural because we those of us who are Jesus, we don't want to be that guy or that woman right the one that's like belligerent or aggressive or weird or something like that in our faith. We just don't want to be, ever be that person. Um, I have a friend who works in a floral shop, and she's got a real gift for uh, arranging uh, flowers and making uh, bouquets and stuff like that. And, um, and one day she was working in the checkout counter of the shop that she's a part of, and this woman came through and began to uh, engage her in some uh, unsolicited conversation. We might say and begin just start off by saying, hey, you know, you've got a real gift. You know, you're really good at what you do. And my friend thanked her. And then she asked her, she said, hey, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? My friend was like, oh, wow, this is really kind of a pointed question. She's like, I, I'm yeah, I do. Actually, I do have a relationship with with God through Jesus Christ. And she's thinking to herself, I sure am glad that I'm uh, kind of used to. To, you know, I'm not someone who's, who's not used to getting these kind of pointed questions. She thought that was the end of it, but it wasn't. This woman began to go on and talk about sin and talk about, you know, judgment and, and stuff like that. And, and it was getting more and more intense. And she began to kind of go down this path like she was working the script on my friend. and She couldn't deviate from the script at all. And this is going on and on. My friend was kind of held hostage there. I mean, she was the checkout girl. And uh, finally, the, the, the manager of the store had to call her over into the back room and say, Hey, Chris, I need you back here because he saw that she could use some rescuing kind of thing. And uh, I'm just glad that I wasn't the next person in line at that because I would have been like angry, you know. Um, but uh, that's kind of an extreme example. But have you ever been in a situation like that where you've been like held hostage by someone who may have had a Jesus agenda? Okay, and and you were like, okay, how do I get out of this? And none of us want to be that person. None of us want to be that woman or that man. And so what I think what many of us do is we opt to just do nothing. And say nothing entirely. And so. We just kind of go passive. And and I wonder if there's this I wonder if there's this third option. I wonder if there's another alternative that that we can engage in that, that kind of fits somewhere between the, the extremes of being uh, ag- aggressive and belligerent and a little bit strange and, and the other extreme of not saying anything at all. And, and we here at Kettlebrook, we believe that there is a third option. It's the option of gospel fluency, of, of becoming naturally, normally conversant uh, with the, the, the story of Jesus Christ. And, and you put up the, the first slide there. It starts with this whole idea that we want to speak the truth in love. We want to, we want to talk to others about the things that are most important uh, in life. And, but we begin by practicing this lost art of listening. Just listening to people. Listening, and it's the other side of the coin, asking good questions. And we looked at the life of Jesus, and we saw that Jesus was just a master at asking great questions of people. And, and as we become good at asking questions and drawing out the story of people, we begin to hear their story. And then after we have built a bridge of care and compassion with the other person, we kind of, you know, we kind of have this very fragile but viable bridge that we can begin to share our story. And we can become a, a little bit authentic with the person and um, a little bit open and share about what God has done in us and for us. In our lives. And we might have a, a, a personal story to share about what God has done in our life and share a little bit about our story. But what happens when we get to that point where we, we actually have a, a friend or a colleague or, 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 or a family member who actually wants to hear more about the gospel story? They want to hear more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. They want to know what the gospel actually is. Do we. As followers of Jesus Christ, when we get to that wonderful but terrifying moment where someone actually is interested in hearing about Jesus, do we know what it is important to share? Do we know what's essential? Do we know what to leave out? Do we know, in a core question, do we know exactly what the gospel is at those moments? Now, if you're here today and and you don't have any intention of ever sharing the gospel or that with any of your friends at all, you can check out. You can you can get, get your phone out and check email or something like that, uh, because that's what we're going to talk about. But if you're here today, if you're here today and you are interested and want to know, Mike, what would I actually say to my friends or coworkers in that situation, then perhaps today we might be able to give you a tool or two for you to use when we get to that situation. So I want us to look at a passage of scripture today that. Um, that where where Paul, the Apostle Paul, actually articulates what are the, the essential and basic elements of the gospel, okay? And thankfully for us, it's a very short passage. It's found in 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to look at verses 1 through 8. Verses 1 through 8. And uh, we're also going to have it up on the screens up there. And uh, this, is a, this is a passage where Paul kind of un- unpacks what are the essential elements of the good news of Jesus, or what we call the gospel. So Paul begins saying this in verse, uh, verse 1, chapter 15. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you born first of all paul in this passage he uses the word received twice he says the gospel that you have received or the good news that you have received and then he says for what i received i passed on to you as of first importance the greek word for received here refers to the authorized tradition of the apostles that they had mastered this was in a nutshell, the essential elements of the good news of Jesus, the gospel. That Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, and that he appeared to his followers. This is, in a nutshell, what was the crux of the gospel. But there is this little phrase in this passage that we just read, and Paul uses it twice. It is the phrase, according to the scriptures. Let's read verses 3 and 5 up there again. It says, it "says For what I received I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. There's something about the story of Jesus that is according to the Scriptures, or that is linked to the Scriptures. Now, in Paul's time, the Scriptures at that time were the whole of the Old Testament scriptures. The New Testament hadn't been written at the time. Paul was actually writing the New Testament as he was writing this letter. But but when he says the scriptures, he's talking about the Old Testament. And what Paul is saying here is that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is inexorably tied to another story, the story that God had been writing from the very beginning of time, the story that centers around the history and the people of Israel. And that Jesus is, in a very real way, the conclusion and the resolution of the Old Testament story, the story of of the Scriptures. So that Jesus is essentially what God has been working up to in all of the Old Testament Scriptures. Jesus is the conclusion of that. Scott McKnight says it this way in the King Jesus Gospel. He says, you can't get away from it. Paul's Gospel, or better yet, the early Christian Gospel is rooted in the Scriptures. The story of Jesus Christ, then, isn't a story that came out of nowhere, like the Book of Mormon. And it isn't a timeless set of ideas as with Plato's philosophical writings. The story of Jesus Christ is locked into one people, one history, and one Scripture. It makes sense only as it follows and completes the story of Israel. So the story of Jesus only finds its right context in the story of Israel, and the story of Israel is part of a larger story that God has been writing, the story that of, of God. And so you might be saying then that Mike, what are you what are you saying? That that you want us to share the whole of the Old Testament with someone if we're gonna adequately and accurately explain who Jesus is, that we've got to go back and hit the entire Old Testament? Thankfully, no. Okay? Um But, 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 what I think is important is for those of us who are followers of Jesus, who want to adequately and accurately convey the story of Jesus to people, is to know the scope, know the narrative, know the overall flow of what God has been up to from the very beginning of time through the Scriptures. Because the story of Jesus is one according to the Scriptures. And so there are essentially five movements to all of Jesus. The scriptures, five movements. We can, we can basically boil this whole book down to five essential movements. Someone comes up to you and says, hey, what's, what's the story of the Bible? What's the Bible all about? Is it just a collection of fables? Is it a, is, a, is it a rule book? What is it? No, no. The Bible is one story, and it's got one story with five movements. And those five movements are, we'll get them up there, creation, fall, promise, redemption, and restoration, or recreation. You can say that. It, it just begins with creation, that God creates this amazingly wonderful world and that he places mankind in the middle of this world and they have a perfect relationship with each other, uh, the, the Adam and Eve, and they have a perfect relationship with their God, and they have a perfect, perfect relationship with their creation, with their order. And, um, and they're to tend it and take care of it, and everything is as it should be. That's essentially the, the meaning of the word shalom, In the Old Testament. You've heard of Shalom, you think it means peace. It means peace, but that's just the beginning of it. It means when everything is as it should be. And in Genesis chapters one and two, we have this picture of shalom when everything is as it should be, but it doesn't last long because by the time we get to Genesis chapter three, our first parents make the disastrous decision to rebel against God, to do the one thing that He told them not to do, and that they think that they have, you know, a better understanding of how to live their lives, and they disobey God. And the whole thing goes south from there. Our created order is, is, is broken at that point. Creation is broken. We become part of this broken order and we are now broken people in every single way imaginable. We're broken physically in our bodies. We're broken mentally in the way we think. We're broken emotionally. We're broken sexually. We're broken in every conceivable way that you can possibly think. And so the fall is this tragic chapter of, of brokenness coming into the world. But... Thankfully, God is not content to leave the world in that state of brokenness forever. And he makes a promise in Genesis chapter 12, in, against the backdrop of all this darkness and blackness and brokenness that he, that he sees, he makes a promise in Genesis chapter 12 that he is going to restore the world back to the way that it originally was in the garden in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, that he is essentially going to bless the whole world, and he's going to bless all the nations, and he's going to do it through one man who's going to become a nation. So that's promise. Jesus, then, is the consummation and the climax of that promise. Okay? God creates the, the nation of Israel, and from the nation of Israel comes the Savior, Jesus. And that's where you get this, this, these passages in First uh, Corinthians chapter 15, that Jesus lived, he died, he rose again, and he appeared. Again, that that's the redemption that we have in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the climax of that story. And that those who place their faith and their trust in Jesus become part of that redemptive story. But it doesn't end there. Jesus then says that their time is coming when he is going to come back. And he is essentially going to fulfill the promise that God makes in Genesis chapter 12. And he is going to restore the world back to the way that originally was. The shalom of God is going to return to the world again. There's going to be a new heaven, new earth. Sin and brokenness are going to be weeded out of this world, and this world is once again going to be just the way that God wants it to be and just the way that we want it to be again. Those are the five elements of this story of God. They're worth Memorizing, okay? Because, again, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you want to be able to appropriately, and adequately share the story of God and and, and the the good news of Jesus with people, these these five elements are good to know. In fact, they're so good, we should probably just say them right now. Right? So why don't we just read them? Creation, fall, promise, redemption, restoration. That is the story of God. Now, when you get an opportunity to talk to someone... When that moment comes and you're terrified and you're shaking and you're praying, the good news is this, you don't have to share all five movements with that person. If you listen to their story well, if you, if you heard them and you heard elements of their story, there may be certain parts of these five elements that then resonate with and speak to the experience that that person has and, and it connects with them. It's interesting, the Apostle Paul, when he's addressing two very different crowds in the book of Acts, he uses two very different approaches in explaining the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And he's like a walking anthropologist. He like sizes up his crowd and then he's then able to fit appropriately the good news of Jesus to the crowd that he's speaking in. So in Acts chapter 13, he's talking to a group of pious Jews. These are people who know the Torah, who know the Scriptures, who are worshiping the ones who God. And so what he does is he speaks to them from the Scriptures, and he quotes extensively from the Old Testament Scriptures as he's talking to this group. And uh, and he uses them that to talk about how Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise that God has made all throughout the Old Testament. But then in Acts chapter 17, if you read Acts chapter 17, Paul is then talking to a group of Greek Stoic philosophers who don't know much about the Bible and they don't, they, they don't study the Scriptures. And so he begins, he doesn't quote the Bible to him. he quotes some of their own authors. He quotes some of their own poets. And he begins talking about the one God who created everything. He starts And he, and he starts off with creation. And then he says, the one God who determined where every person lives and the times that they live in the hopes that they will reach out for him in some way. And then he jumps all the way to restoration, he says that, that God is going to one day judge the, the whole earth and he's going to do it by the man that he has chosen and appointed and he's proven that by raising him from the dead. Isn't that amazing? Paul gets through a whole gospel presentation. He doesn't even mention Jesus. What is up with that? Okay, But in both of these situations, he's able to give aspects of the story of God and in both situations, this is important to know, in both situations, he then gets invited back to talk more extensively by those who are interested. Okay? He doesn't, like, ram everything down everybody's throats. He just kind of sprinkles out parts and elements of these five, of these, uh, five movements in, in the Scriptures and talks about how Jesus' is fulfillment of them And then in both situations, you read read Acts chapter 13 Acts chapter 17, both times people say, invite them back, and they say, we want to hear more. We want to hear more about this subject. And in our situation, in our conversations with people, perhaps as we sprinkle elements of the story, there may be people in our lives that God is working on their hearts, and they may invite us back and say, you know what, I want to hear more about that. And you can do this in almost every any situation. The other week, I was um, at the YMCA after a workout. I was in the the sauna, saunaying. Whatever you do in a sauna, what do you do in a sauna? Sauna, you know. Sweat. Yes, <laughs> you sweat. And I was there with a buddy of mine, and we were we were talking. There's another guy with us there as well, and we were talking. We we're just talking about nothing, you know, just sports and stuff like that. And one the guy that was in there, he had a he had a, a big old tattoo on his arm of some Chinese characters. And tattoos are a great way, great entry point into people's lives. If people who are wearing a tattoo, they're just begging you to ask about the tattoo. There's always some significance there with the tattoo. And so, so I asked the guy, I'm like, hey, dude, like, you know, so what's up with your tattoo? What's the Chinese character on there, you know? And he's like, oh, yeah, uh, I, I'm not exactly sure, but I, I think it, like, means harmony or something like that. I'm not quite sure because I was kind of stoned out of my mind when I got it. And, uh, you know, and then, and that began to unpack uh, some things in his life, his struggle with drug addiction, and then his entry into uh, recovery, and how he's in recovery now, and he's working on it, working the program to be free from this drug addiction. He began to be very open and honest and authentic with me in his story. And then after I was done listening to some of his story, I was able to then tell him about the... Christ-based recovery movement that we have going on at the church that I attend. I didn't tell them I'm a pastor. That's kind of a game changer. It kind of shuts, shuts down conversation right there. And, uh, but I said, I said, at the church that I go to, we have this, uh, we have this recovery movement that's kind of Christ-based, and uh, I, I'm, I'm a part of that, and a lot of my friends are in the exact same boat that you're in, and what they have found is that they've found, uh, they've found freedom and, de- and deliverance out of their addictions through Jesus Christ. And he was like, wow. He goes, you know what? I think I do have some friends that go there. I know some people who go to that group. And I, I invited him He said, we got to come check it out. It's Wednesday nights at, at, at Kettlebrook Church. And so he said he thought that he might come and check it out. I haven't seen him yet, but I was able to, to tell him, really focus on redemption, that my friends have found redemption and freedom from their bondage to addictions through Jesus Christ. And... I like to say it this way. What we want to do is we want to build a bridge of love into the lives of the people we relate with. And the best way to do it is to start with listening, listening to their story, and hopefully, prayerfully, that we build a bridge that may one day bear the weight of truth, the truth of the gospel, that either through telling our own story or telling the, the story of God. And... Uh, you know, my friend in the, in the floral shop, she actually does have a real gift with, with flowers. And she ministers to the people who come into her shop because oftentimes customers will come in and they will need a floral arrangement for a loved one who's passed away for a funeral. And so she begins to ask them questions. And she says, well, tell me about your dad. Or tell me about your wife. Or tell me about your sister. And, and these people begin to tell them, tell her very intimate details about their friend. And, and she says, tell me about their activities. Tell them about their interests. What did they do? And what, what, what do you remember about them? And she's able to draw out from all, all this really, really cool stuff. And then, and then, after listening to their story, she is then able to create and craft an appropriate arrangement of flowers and, you know, I don't know, fauna, foliage, I don't know the lingo. But she creates these things that are beautiful and that reflect the person themselves. And oftentimes she will have people come back to her in tears and say, how did you know? How did you get it so right? Because what she created and crafted spoke to their heart. And, of course, she was able to do that because she listened well. I thought, what a great picture of gospel fluency. What if we became a people who were able to do that well, who were able to listen to people's stories and ask appropriate questions and draw out of them elements of their narrative that they might not even have been aware of, and then we offer back to them a carefully crafted bouquet not of flowers but of elements of the truths of the gospel that would speak to their soul because we've taken the time to listen to their story. And Lord willing, we'd sometimes get it just right. And maybe, just maybe, we'd get an invitation back like the Apostle Paul when they say, we want to hear more about this Jesus. Wouldn't it be great if we became a community of people who became adept and skilled at doing that one thing? That would make a different year for us in 2018, wouldn't it? Let's pray. Father God, we want desperately to be a people who can accurately and appropriately art, articulate the elements of the gospel, the good news of Jesus to the people you've placed in our lives, to the people we love, to the people who are in relationship with, who we, who we care for and we love. We want to we do that in a way that's winsome and authentic and, and, and helps people to take their next step in their journey with Christ. Father, I pray that you would Teach us to be skillful at this, this whole thing we're calling gospel fluency. Being, being able to listen and hear their story well. Being able to tell our own story well of what you've done in our life. And ultimately being able to tell your story well. The story of creation. The story of the fall. The story of the promise that you hold out. That you will not leave the world stuck in the way that it is. And that promise that was consummated and culminated in Jesus Christ and his redemption on the cross. And ultimately, Jesus, that you are going to one day come back and restore the world back to the way it is, the way that you intended it to be, the way that we want it to be. And that we could be a people who offer up this story in appropriate ways that speak to the souls of our friends and our family members and our colleagues and by the power of the Holy Spirit you would be working in their lives and hearts to opening up eyes and ears and hearts and minds to respond to the gospel pray this in Jesus name